Well, welcome back to another episode of the Soundworks Collection video series. I'm Michael Coleman, and today I'm incredibly excited to have composer Stephen Price today um, to talk about two of his new recent films. Um, both are featured on Netflix. One is um, Over the Moon, which is a lovely poetic film, which we're going to dig into. And then the second one is David Attenborough's Life on Our Planet. So, um, Stephen, thank you so much for uh, joining me. No, thank you for having me along. So, two, two projects, both on Netflix. Um, did you find out about these projects around the same time? Like, you know, when did you hear about both of these films? They were kind of slow burners, both of them, in that, that um, I knew about A Life on Our Planet um, toward the end of the, the project, project called Our Planet, which was a, a sort of eight-part Netflix natural world kind of thing, which David Attenborough did the, the voiceover for, the narration for. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of that, I heard whispers that he was, he was looking to basically tell his life story and felt the time was right and wanted to to put across his message in a very direct sort of way, in a way that those big shows he couldn't really do. So I kind of heard about that at that stage. And around the same time, I think I heard about Over the Moon. I'd, I'd worked with the editor of Over the Moon on another project before, and I'd heard she was heading on to this Glenn Keane film. And I kept sort of saying to her, what's it like, you know, is, is Glenn Keane amazing? Is he great? Because, you know, I'd grown up with all of his films. Um, and she kept saying, yeah, he's every bit as good as you'd hope. He's wonderful. But of course, you don't really know if there's any chance of getting a meeting with these people. Yeah. And so in the end, I did. Um, and and yeah, so, yeah, they kind of um, I, I wrote and recorded the Attenborough film before Over the Moon. But they were they were the projects that followed each other. So they were quite close together. Yeah. Uh, you know, the story of Over the Moon, it's it's incredible because after I watched the film, I went back and I wanted to learn the tale of of, you know, what I guess like it's it's referencing of this, you know, this really incredible story. Did you know anything about, you know, just like the concept or, you know, this the story before you, you knew the project? I had some vague idea of the Moon Festival, you know, the, the, the idea and, you know, there's a, a Chinatown in London, which always does incredible mm -hmm. displays and stuff every every year. And I'd always kind of loved that and gone to see that. But I didn't really know the background of it. Um, and the first I really did know about it was the, the script. And then you saw how they'd kind of extrapolated this myth into this incredibly moving story of, of a girl's journey through you know missing um someone who's died and, and learning how to live without them and that sort of thing so i it was one of those scripts when you read it and it just felt immediately kind of moving and then you started to see some of the, the visuals they were putting together and just talking to the filmmakers and the way that they were really going for that emotion as well and they they were trying to make something that was kind of timeless and and really felt emotional it was just you know yes please yeah, yeah. Something that's incredible is uh, it's a musical. So it's not just an animated film. There's elements of like original song and these really, you know, to me, it's hard to pull off. It's not like everyone is capable of making, first of all, animation films that can can transition into like these these set these kind of, you know, very set pieces with music. Um, when you were brought onto the project, were those songs already established or, you know, how far along were they? By the time I came on board, the songs were in place and they'd, they'd been um, written, I think, one or two years before I got involved. So they existed in demo form and there were vocals from the actors um, in them, but they were sort of synth demos, basically. And so the animation had been done to those, but it was really clear that there was such diversity in the songs. And, they, you know, they go from all sorts of different styles through Broadway-esque things into there's, um, there's a rap song at one point, there's this kind of K-pop stuff going on. And it kind of needed music to kind of weave seamlessly between them whilst helping the, the emotional story develop so you know i kind of got excited about that because I, I do love working with songs as well and something that i've done on on previous films with people like edgar wright where we kind of take source music 
and and kind of track them and play with them and stretch them and make them kind of weave in and out so i kind of felt excited about the possibility of, of doing that with a musical and the fact it was like an animated musical was was just immediately exciting anyway because you grew up with these things you know yeah the story takes place in kind of this fantasyful land that is culturally you know very vibrant um the community is is very warm and I feel like when you're dropped into the town, there's kind of elements of things that, like you're saying, like if you were to go to Chinatown, things you'd hear and see and smell. Um, but then obviously, you know, for you, what was your experience of introducing some of those traditional Chinese, like the flute? Um, I, I think it was, see, it was the lute, the zither, the flute, these like traditional classic instruments that, you know, are always kind of ingrained in, in this type of music. What, what, yeah. How, how did you even approach that? Well, it was, it was one of the first conversations really with the filmmakers was, was this idea that, um, you know, the film, everything about the film is Chinese. You know, it's, it's, it, it, we wanted it to feel like it was really just the film grew out of, of this, this place. Um, but at the same time, we didn't want to do it in a traditional kind of Hollywood, here's our Western symphony orchestra <laughs> with a couple of solo instruments on top. And the songs had got a bit of that already. They kind of, they, because they were often dealing with the, the mythology, they'd gone quite sort of um, for, for a quite wholesome Chinese kind of sound. So mm -hmm. score-wise, it felt like if we weren't careful, we'd really kind of almost make a patronizing sounding score. And I didn't want to do that. So it was, it, early on, it was, how can I, I incorporate China into every note that I write whilst not doing a cliche? And so that led me to kind of just starting, as I often do, with, with textures. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd record instruments such as the, the guts and this amazing sort of um, Chinese harp and the Erhu string instrument and, and sort of record them in very basic forms, but then play with those textures and stretch them and put them into the, the machines and, and kind of build these textures out of them that I would kind of put up against the picture and see how it was kind of fitting. And then I would write with those textures in place and it kind of influenced everything I did and made me use certain scales and certain harmonies. And it just gave me a good start in terms of making China the very essence of what I wrote. And hopefully, you know, it feels like a very Chinese inspired score without feeling um, like, you know, it's it's me sitting in London doing it. You know, it, it, hopefully it feels like it's it's really the, the, cent, the central core of everything. Um, so were you tasked with, you know, Fei Fei is, is our, our lead character here and um, sh sh the energy of her is, is it, it's a wonderful like journey of, uh, of her trying to deal, I don't want to give all the story away, but just dealing with the loss of her mother, and then obviously just the idea of of her life moving forward with this with a new brother and a new mom. But you know, w w when you were tasked with kind of creating a sound for Fei Fei, what did you want to kind of convey through through her themes or you know her, the moments that she had? Yeah, I mean, the conversation I had very early on with with Glenn was that my job in the whole film was just to be with Fei Fei, and that everything was in the eyes. And and if you when you watch it with that in mind, everything to do with Fei Fei is this energy and she's kind of very sparky and every idea is leading to a million other ideas and she's very creative and very scientifically minded. She wants to I mean she builds a space rocket. Um so everything about her was very sharp and and sort of uh, uh felt very energetic. And Glenn was always pushing me to but certainly in the early scenes in China, just to really go for that energy. And there's lots of motors going on in the music and there's lots of um this sense of a of a bustly family life and Feifei is kind of part of that where everything is interrupting everything else and every thought is interrupting another thought. And that kind of led me to, to make it a little sort of sharp, spiky kind of figure for her. 
which is very, very sort of short little motif you hear early on in like, the dinner scene, the da 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 da, da thing, <laughs> which then develops very later on into into more as, as her whole character develops as we go through the film. But I mean, what was interesting talking to Glenn about characters was I'd be writing a character theme, and he would kind of um, say to me that sort of like I can't explain what I I need musically, but I can tell you how I learned how to draw the character. And so he would say, you know, Fei-Fei's hair, for example, it's, it's very sort of, it's all angles, you know, it's everything mm-hmm. is, it's, she's cut it herself. It's all kind of sticking out and it, it just suggests this kind of energy. And once you kind of notice that and you've had that conversation, that meant, of course, the music needs to be angular and it needs, her music needs to, to feel like it has these sharp edges and it has a lot of spirit to it. And that kind of worked with every character in the film, really. He would give me a little insight into how he worked out how to draw it and how, how his art was. And from there, I could kind of, um, yeah, start fiddling around with my own ideas. Yeah. Um, what What did you find in terms of working in, you know, the animated, it's not a genre, it's, it's just a medium, but, you know, did the picture lock to a point where you, you could feel like you knew the direction that you wanted to take? I just, your cues are so, um, they're grabbing the moments of these, like, little jumping off points. And I, I just, I love... I love how music and animation work because they they're so hand in hand. We're we're dealing with a blank canvas in a way that you know just visually they can do whatever they want. But then I feel like sonically too. There's maybe the constraints that you might be faced with are are not always you know they don't have to be as traditional or literal as maybe live action. Just because it's it's kind of like this fantasy heightened world. What did you find in terms of with this project and animation in general? What did it allow you that maybe you wouldn't have the freedom to otherwise do. I think that the key, the key thing with, with animation that I've noticed and the, the, the experience I've had with it is everything on screen is intentional. You know, there's not a single thing that they haven't thought about and they haven't placed for a reason. Even if it's just something in the background that's catching the light in a certain way and glistening, they've done that because they want you to feel that moment. And so musically, that kind of invites you to, to be more with the picture than you might be in a live action thing. You know, it's it's certainly something like over the moon we really really precisely um went through the beats with the director you know we, we literally kind of want to hit that the rhythm of that needs to, to be like this it would very much kind of match up and i think they're they're really closely bonded in a way that maybe you wouldn't do in a, in, in an action film you certainly you know oftentimes people don't want that in a, in a live action film so that was that was a, a lovely bit of it and, and what i found was their process matched up really closely to how i kind of like to work anyway and that they work in these stages. So, you know, when I first see a scene, it may be sort of a sketch, you know, it, it might be almost a, um, a storyboard where there are a succession of drawn frames, you know, one every few seconds or whatever. And then gradually that would detail, there'd be the animation pass where all the character animation would start to get finalized. And then they would start to light it and the backgrounds would go in. And so I would get various iterations of, of the picture and each one of those would change the way I kind of colored in what I was doing. You know, I would have my little musical sketch and then I would start adding arrangement and adding instrumentation to it. And maybe a lighting thing would come in, which would, would change the way that sounds. And I've always been very um, receptive to how a film kind of responds to music, you know, and, and sometimes the colors are totally what affects it. You know, I'd, I'd look at a scene like the, the moment when they first fly into Lunaria and <laughs> as the colors came into that and it became so bright and vibrant and suddenly detail of the glimmers within objects on the screen would come in. It just meant the music had to do that as well. So we just go back and forth. I'd do a bit of music, an animated pass will come in with, with something new and that would kind of inspire me to go off and, and improve what I'd done. And hopefully we kind of gradually 
started raising the level as we went through the process. Yeah. Um, you know, from the notes I read here, I guess you started to score in June of this year. Is that right? Is that when you That's went That's when we started recording. So, recording, so yeah, okay, I, yeah. The, the main writing was was um, beginning of, of January 2019. But I'd, I'd written okay. some themes in advance of that based on script and that sort of stuff. So how often were you getting in, I mean, you know, pretty much like head down, working intensely on it was, I mean, how would you describe just the, your writing process in terms of what, like, were you providing temps or, you know, what was kind of the collaboration throughout up until the point of going to the, the stage? It was kind of intense, really. Once we got into the, the main flow of it, you know, it was, it was, I was really writing kind of solidly on it from, from January to about May of that year when we had to kind of start getting everything orchestrated. Um, and it was a lot of back and forth. And, you know, I would, I would kind of, I, mean, I started off with this one. I remember I, I couldn't show them the first reel until I'd got far enough in to prove that the first reel worked. And I needed to get to like <laughs> halfway through the third reel or something before I felt confident enough that I got the first reel right. So there was a lot of them, me saying to them, I can't show it you yet. You won't, you won't, you know, until I do this bit, this bit doesn't make sense. So please bear with me. And luckily they did. And then we got into this real rhythm where, you know, we'd have meetings once or twice a week. I would send them things. It was all done virtually because we were in the mm -hmm. pandemic at that point. Um, and so I'd send them quick times with with um, a sort of dub that I would do in my studio here of, of their, their rough dialogue and effects um, mixed with the, the, the demos that I was making. Um, and then we'd, we'd play those together, discuss them. I would do the next pass on those whilst the new material was writing at the same time. So it was quite an intense process back and forth and gradually more things would get put into their avid so they would live with it there and of course that leads to, to oh i've just had another thought about that moment there so there was a lot of music you know and, and um myself and, and my team were also charged with with finishing the songs and and, and completing the the recording process of those and um, so there was i think in, in total we were working on about an hour and a half of music in the in the show do you think that working on an animated film gives you a new perspective on working on live action or like the takeaways because i feel like just knowing how long it takes to make a live action film and how long it takes to make a, an animated film it's incredible to think that you know they were it, the songwriting process was back in 2017 so they themselves have been living with this material for so long and by the time they get to start introducing music i i, I feel like they are they might already have a clear direction like they want to head in that direction there's not much create or not creativity but just exploration like what what did you find in terms of working with people who have been with these characters and developing just the story for such a long period of time but if, if, even if you came in at 2019 i feel like they they've already been on this project for almost two years so and that, and i think that can go either way you know because there, there, there would be occasions where people have got incredibly attached to, to temp music or whatever it would be on this one i was kind of fortunate and that no one really was attached to anything and i think okay. if anything they were they were excited about the possibilities because what they'd made was this really unique kind of looking film. And, you know, the, I think it was it would be impossible to tempt something like this. And so they always felt kind of unsatisfied by anything that they'd, they'd had in before. And I think they were excited when I went in that, that I was as excited about about their animation. I think like all of us, you know, you get to a certain stage, you've been working on something for ages and you start to question everything. And I could be that person who came in and was like, this is amazing. <laughs> this scene here and then i remember having a meal with glenn um in la you know when we could still travel mm -hmm. and you know we were just walking to a, to a restaurant and talking about a scene and i was like god that that looks like nothing i've ever seen before that sequence and the music's really 
got to do that too the music's got to be you know got to reach that level it's got to be like something we haven't heard before for an animated film and he just sort of stopped and looked at me and nodded in a kind of yes do that kind of way and so with that blessing you felt like you could kind of push for things and I, I get the feeling everyone on the film felt like that in every department they mm -hmm. felt like their their take on it was was really wanted and and was going to be appreciated and everything got got very very deeply analyzed you know it wasn't like you you gave them your take and they went great thanks very much and we all we all smiled and went home it was very sort of intense back and forth but um you definitely felt inspired that you could you could offer something a little bit different and you know it was going to be be listened to with an open kind of heart which uh, is, is, is a lovely thing to go through yeah so when you did get to the 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 moment I, I guess it looked like you went to abbey road and you were in i guess in vienna and you're you're in a few places i think throughout your record what did you feel like at that point you were able to move forward and kind of I mean, was it locked in when you got to, to the recording stage? I, I know sometimes there's opportunity to obviously make changes and, you know, make adjustments. But, you know, what was it like, obviously, being in the pandemic and recording virtually, um, remotely? Did, did it change your process at all? Or, you know, was it, it was project? very scary in that, that, you know, we were we were definitely um, booked in to record this whole thing at Abbey Road in end of May, beginning of June. And literally until the week before, we still thought it might be possible. London was at the stage where it was just opening up after the first wave of the virus. And, mm -hmm. you know, musicians were going back in and it felt like we were going to be first in. Um, but then it couldn't happen and we were too soon. And so this idea of recording remotely in Vienna was was the way forward. And I was terrified because I'm, you know, used to <laughs> going into the recording room and just quietly having a word with my cellist and going like, you know, that bit there, I'd love it if you could phrase it like that. Mm. You know, rather than doing that as a big presentation to the group. It's just nice to go in and, and talk to individuals. And, you know, it, I, I kind of like that one on one kind of interaction with people. So I was really nervous about how that would work, you know. Um, but I think everyone involved had been through such a lot that when we started and I, I gave them one of the, the tuny bits when we first played with Vienna. And I think the moment everyone started, everyone was so pleased to be back at work. All the musicians who'd been worried about their livelihoods were suddenly in a room playing together, socially distanced, but playing together. Um, and it just felt kind of like we were all on the same team and the communication thing after the first sessions, it kind of just felt like we locked in and we found a way to do it. And it's not the same. And I, I can't wait to the days when we're doing it the way we used to do it. But it was good. And we, we obviously had to, to, to stripe things a lot more because you couldn't get as many musicians in the room as you, you would ordinarily. And score like this, you know, it's it's all guns blazing, orchestral music in lots of places. So, you know, there was a lot of session time. And a lot of post-production then to, to knit all that together and make it sound like one performance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it turned out very well. And, and we did get to, to finish off the process going um, to London and recording some soloists there that I know very well. And so it was nice to, to get their little touch on it at the end. Is the the soloists that you had for the, the traditional Chinese instruments, do, were those people you knew already or how did you source them? How did you even know what to look for or listen for? for? That was one of those things when you're really grateful for the the, the fixes that you've got in okay. in London and and LA because I I you know I've got, I've been working with with Isabel Griffiths over here and Susie Gillis who works for her has, has been fixing for me for a long long time mm -hmm. and it's one of those things where I can phone her up and go ah right I need your advice and mm -hmm. you know they tend to, if they haven't been in a situation like that before they tend to know someone who has and they tend to know who to ask and we were just blessed I mean. The woodwind player on this is Eliza Marshall, who plays everything, basically. And I've had her playing sort of conventional flute stuff on other scores. She's a big part of the David Attenborough score. Mm -hmm. 
and that we did last year as well and you know but she also does an awful lot of, of ethnic wind playing so she was you know a fantastic addition to this but yeah the the, the chinese sort of the, the erhu player uh, for example was wonderful and i'd never met before but just one of those where the first note that they play in the session you just know you're in safe hands and you can relax and enjoy it so it was um yeah luckily the, the people that i know knew who to get called yeah so how much time did you have on this on the scoring stage we i think in vienna we must have done seven days in the end okay. you know and it was it was two session days it's like the days of doing triple sessions where you know we can't do that at the moment because you have to deep clean the right. studios and all that kind of stuff so it was longer than it would have been um in in pre-covid times um but yeah it was it was quite a lot of sessions and then then these individual sessions back in london i think we did um a handful of solos like four or five solos and then a day of percussion um and yeah a little bit of voice work over here as well we, we recorded uh, a grace davison um solo singer over here so it was um yeah it was a fair few days probably the sort of 10 11 days of, of scoring by the end of it but in ordinary times that would have been five or six you know so between june and i guess when did you lock when did you deliver we started delivering soon afterwards. So we, we then yeah. took all the, the, the tapes, um, you know, all the, all the files to, to British Grove and we mixed it there. And we were feeding the, the dub in L.A. Um, and my music editor was in another studio at British Grove, basically being the music editor dub <laughs> guy. So he was beamed into L.A. constantly. We were feeding music to him as we went. So, it was yeah, it got quite lively towards the end, all the sort of technology of it all sort of keeping things running. Um, so yeah, we, we probably mixed for, for two weeks, I think of, of solid time, but you know, slightly extended out by doing songs and that sort of thing. Mm, that's great. I'm, I'm looking, um, here just at, at the songs that are, uh, you know, like these, these songs, Hey boy, wonderful, yours forever, love someone new. Were you involved with any of those, any of the recording instrumentation of any of that i mean i did i did what, what what was called additional production on them basically and we we took they, they were they existed in demo form okay um so we my my team and i um were, were i mean my, thanks to my team but you know, they really took on the song side of it and took those those midi arrangements and made them 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 real we recorded them in the same sessions of the orchestra and there's little little um additional um textural things that i added to them to kind of you know there were sounds that were becoming very associated with characters and with moments in the score and so to to, to bring that into all those moments there are little sweeteners mm -hmm. in the songs but really the arrangements were done really good arrangements were done before my time on the film for, for the songs mm -hmm. so we we kind of just um sweetened and, and finished for the song yeah um the the the, the moon cakes i don't know if it's even a theme but just like the setting the stage of kind of connecting the real world with luminate Lunaria, Lunaria, is that Lunaria? Yeah, that's Lunaria, it, Lunaria. Yeah. Um, I love it when it returns at the end, when when she comes back and it's kind of this reflecting, and obviously Feifei is is a changed girl, and and she's she has a different perspective. Um, how do you like in terms of introducing themes and and bringing them back and doing like these reprisals or whatnot? What do you what do you find you know in your mind is effective of of taking a, a melody or a theme that you've introduced and then twisting it and re like what what have you found has been most helpful for you for an approach like this there, there are a couple of different things really i mean with the the score itself the themes within the score um those i kind of felt that that i could i could play the long game with those almost now i'm mm -hmm. planting little motives very early on in the film and gradually developing them and for example Fei Fei's theme 
um, and the Lunarian theme are both introduced separately. But when they come back to Earth, those two themes are intertwined because their stories are now intertwined. Right. And uh, so the score side of it kind of worked that way. It was kind of this this process of development. But then when I did quote the songs, it would be kind of little fragments of of the, the melodies, often for story reasons, like the Mooncakes thing you mentioned there. Mm-hmm. There are little quotes of that. And sometimes with um, uh, the, the Moon Goddess character, I would use a little, little fragment of a song that, that she sings just to kind of, to bring that sense of unity to it and feel like that we're on this sort of journey where the songs and the, the score are all playing the same film. You know, they're all, they're all kind of telling the same story. So yeah, song wise, I would, I would take little fragments, just hopefully enough to just trigger a memory. And then score wise, I would kind of try and do the storytelling kind of thematics, you know, where um, themes would, would be associated with a character or a moment and they would kind of, their relationships would change as the story changed. Mm. Um, Lastly, now that I mean, now that the film has been out and you've had some time away from it, what what's your takeaway from? I mean, have you worked on other animated films before this? I'd done a couple of, of things. I did it. The first animation I did was was over here, and it was a, a thing for Remembrance Day for the BBC, okay. and it was a thing called Poppies, which is a lovely little two minute film that's used over here for for you know we have a two minute silence for all the grown ups, but the kids can't do it, so yeah. it's something to keep the kids quiet for two minutes. And that was my first experience of working okay. with animation. And then I did a Paramount film called Wonder Park. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of years back, which was my first sort of feature, um, and it's I just I really enjoy animation. You know, I really enjoy all the things we talked about. Really, I, I love that sense of of um, uh, the way score and picture can evolve together, and they kind of they they rise each other to, to different levels. And I, I enjoy the fact that that you can be really specific in your scoring. You know, it's a, uh, I, I like the the thematic thing. I like the fact we can be melodic. So it's um it's been a lot of fun doing it, and I came away from from this one just really hoping that I get a chance to do it again, you know. Yeah, it's interesting because if you look at you know Gravity, Baby Driver, I mean like pretty action sci-fi. Like someone would be like, oh, I don't know if 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 he's the right fit. What would you say to the composers out there who want to show that they have the you know the creativity and the flexibility to do other types of you know genres or styles? What, what what do you think was the not the selling point but how, how did you prove you know to this to this team that you're you are capable no matter what the genre is of of you know creating music for their film i mean i, th- I think it's it's one of those things where where hollywood can be kind of um an interesting place to, to play because you can get very easily typecast and i certainly felt in the aftermath of, of gravity that that you know, you you were the guy who did tension, and it was very sound design based. And <laughs> yeah. you know, and one of the things I I did was I I I did a, a show in the BBC over here. I did a, a natural history show, which kind of meant I could do an awful lot of melodic stuff and write in different styles. And it was that material that that got my foot in the door with the Wonder Park people when that animation came up. And it was almost kind of finding ways to it's almost follow your nose. It's like you know, that's an opportunity to write something I've never written before. I'd love to do that. And, you know, I, I find I, I kind of I do lurch quite violently between, you know, doing doing something that sounds quite aggressive, something that's quite electronic. And then I really want to go the other direction now and write something melodic because I like that change in my life. You know, I like mm-hmm. the fact that, that it's a different challenge and it's something to get excited about. Ultimately, I kind of like that feeling that I don't know what I'm doing, I think, and that, that <laughs> you know, I have to work something out. Um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely possible, I think, to, to, to do all these things, whether, you know, you know You'll you'll hear people argue that it's it's better to find your your niche and stick to it. But you know, I I just enjoy the process so much that I kind of want to try these things. And I kind of 
find that, that you know doing an animation really helps the next time I'm doing an action film or it really helps the next time I'm doing something more psychologically it's all it's all this this material that's kind of you've thought about and ways of sort of playing with music and ways of challenging yourself to find different ways you know different ways of engaging with your instruments around you it all just you know adds to the soup of, of what you're doing and I, I just I really like that you know process that that this you know we call it a job but really it's, yeah. it's my life is this thing and I, I love you know finding out things I don't know about well um what is your your go-to in terms of uh hardware or software or you know instrument when when you're in the writing stages for for any project where do you start usually there's um usually there's very rough things with piano and guitar basically i'll do a lot of sketches that are just literally me either if i'm in the studio i'm i'll play a piano into a, a pro tools um if i'm out of the studio it'll be playing a, a piano or a guitar mm -hmm. or singing into a phone or, or whatever it may be maybe jotting something down um and i tend to just build an awful lot of these these very rough sketches most of which I will never listen to ever again. But every now and then I'll just go through and review and I'll go, oh, that one, yeah. maybe that's got something. Yeah. But then there's, there's other times when, you know, you'll watch a film for the first time and sit with a guitar or whatever, and you find the thing you're noodling, by the end of it, it's kind of stuck in your mind a bit. So yeah. I, uh, half the time the trick for me is getting myself in a state when I'm not really thinking about it too much. And that's that tends to be the best time. A, a lot of things I end up doodling whilst watching TV when I finish work for the day, and I'll just be fiddling around in the guitar and, Oh, what was that? You know, and you're trying to work out what you just did. So it's, um, yeah, it's. It, I've not quite worked out how best to do it, but it seems if you just keep playing things, eventually stuff comes out the other side. That's incredible. Um, going from Over the Moon into David Attenborough, Life on Our Planet, to me, I watched them probably a, a day or two um, apart from one another. And just because I really wanted, I mean, I, I, I was not expecting the Life on Our Planet. Uh, I've seen so many of, of the films that, that David Attenborough has been a part of and produced part of that, you know, this, the series that he's done throughout his life. And so I kind of went in like, I'm going to, I'm going to have a similar experience. It's not going to be necessarily something I haven't seen. Um, but I was just blown away by the message, by the visuals. And more than anything, <laughs> your music got me in a way that I was not ready. Um, it's such, it's such a hard task that like, the story is pretty dire. It's about our earth. It's about the devastation of all of our natural resources. And then it's kind of a a song, a swan song, a kind of like, this is our moment. Like we need to do something. This film is my witness statement and my vision for the future. The story of how we came to make this our greatest mistake. And how if we act now, we can yet put it right. Our planet is headed for disaster. We need to learn how to work with nature rather than against it. And I'm going to tell you how. What was different in your mind with this project? Because, um, I, I don't know, it, it definitely resonated. Maybe it's just the, the times that we're in right now. But yeah, how, how did it how did it resonate with you? 
Well, I, I think um, it did feel very different from the work. And I, I think that the main thing for me was that this was, I mean, I mean so David is, is um, you know, this figure that I've, I've been hearing and seeing on TV from when I was little and way before I was born. Yeah. Um, you know, and, but he's never really, you know, he was always the, the figure who was telling you something with great authority and, or, or it's a voiceover over beautiful imagery. And he's never really been on camera. You know, there's, there's moments in his old 70s stuff when he was kind of, right in the frame but this was you've never seen him sitting there telling his life story um you know on all the adventures he's had and all these wonderful things but then really looking down the barrel of the camera as what you know he's a a, a 94 year old man who looks as upset as (laughs) we all should be about the state of everything and we've never seen that before and it was a very different film and there are still beautiful images in it um you know as you'd expect with the, the the photography that goes on with these shows but really it's it's his story and using his his life story as this mirror to what's happened when he was traveling the world 60 years ago you know the the world was still wild and in that time we have totally trashed it and it's him sitting there telling you that with this he's probably seen more of the natural world than anyone him telling you that it just felt like a really important thing and he he did it for that reason you know it's his Mm -hmm. it's his um legacy piece you know Mm -hmm. he's done this um, to hopefully make a difference and, and I think we all feel very passionate that we want as many people to watch it as possible because it just felt so important yeah um, there's a, a moment when he says that life on our planet that it resonated with me the title of of what he was saying that you know no matter what we do to our planet it's this is our planet and ultimately you know whether or not we are around nature and and the planet will take care of itself it knows how to to, to move forward as it always has. Um, so I, I'm just curious, when you look at a film like this, I, I, I don't know, like for however long the film is, it feels like from top to bottom, there's music throughout. There's not a moment. I mean, there's a few moments of one sound, like there's kind of these, you know, little motifs or, or these little moments when it just goes to some sound um, design. But I feel like a lot of this film, a lot of these films traditionally don't have, there's, there's probably production audio, but it's kind of a blank slate. I mean, what, what do you find, you know, when you started this project, what's the task they're just like here's the film here's a picture lock like what are you presented with early on i mean that's basically i mean one of the, the joys of working my experience in natural history so far is that you do get pretty much a locked picture yeah which doesn't happen in any other time in your life yeah. and it, it kind of just reminds you how wonderful that is you know and and it makes you a braver composer because if you if you want to to hit something you can really work out exactly that you don't have to to hedge your bets and, and think well they're going to change this picture a few times so i won't I won't try and be too clever with that hit because I might not be able to do it later on. You can be really determined in how you're composing. You can make every moment work just exactly as you want to. Um, and I think the film benefits from that, you know, and, and I think obviously time has moved on and lock cuts is kind of a thing of the past in most things, but mm-hmm. musically it does make a massive difference. And it's, it's been, it's a joy to do it. I mean, the thing, the thing for, for life on our planet was it needs to be a different sort of music to what I'd done for for um david's shows before you know those those big shows the our planets and i did one called the hunt for the bbc mm-hmm. you know they're about the spectacle they're about this wonder and and seeing the earth in all its glory you know and so the music is big and it's rich and it's thematic and you know it it, it sort of takes you on this journey whereas this one isn't it's an intimate kind of piece and a lot of it is just one man talking to you um so i wanted the music to feel like him you know and it to feel like it was his and I did a bit of research beforehand to what sort of music he likes, you know, and what he actually listens to when he's not working. And his house is filled with chamber music. It's full, filled with <laughs> vinyl copies of 
of intimate chamber music. And so the decision was made really early on um, between myself and, and one of the directors, Johnny Hughes. Let's do that. Let's go for something really small. Let's let's build it around soloists. Let's build it around um, individual voices. And I pretty much wrote for my favorite musicians in London. You know, I, I, everyone who, who takes a solo on this, the people I've worked with lots before, mm. I kind of hear their sound in my head as I'm writing. Um, and then it was a matter of just just playing to the images and finding something that, that, that felt right for every moment that he delivers. You know, he's he's a tremendous communicator, David, you know, so every moment he delivers things exactly as he means to deliver them. You know, there are no there are no things that are fixed in post with him. It's like he if he wants a line to sound like it sounds, it's because he's really meant that. So musically, you know, I just go with that all the time. He's like the lead instrument, really, and I'm kind of accompanying him. Hmm. How, how do you deal or collaborate with three different directors? How do they break up the film or what what, what was kind of the the um, responsibilities for everyone? Well, they work very closely together. So, you know, I, I whatever I do, we, we talked about the film together at the start. And then whenever I send in demos and, and with those films, I tend to send in quite a lot of music at once. You know, I wouldn't send them a cue here and there. I would write, you know, 30 minutes of the first 30 minutes of the film and then send that to them. And then they would all watch it separately. They would all come together and talk about it. So by the time they talk to me, it's one voice, really. Mm. And that's, you know, I think, again, <laughs> just a, brilliant, a brilliantly grown up way yeah. to work. You know, there was no sort of separate phone calls of people saying, what did he say? I don't like that. You know, there was none of that. It was very much, you know, we, we wanted we wanted to, to, to all want to make this as good as possible. And there was there were just, you know, some fortunate moments for me in the, in the early reels of the film where some sort of big moments musically where everyone just seemed to, 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 to like the same things. And once you've got the confidence of knowing people are responding to something, that kind of lets you, okay, this theme's gonna be important now. Everyone's sort of landed on this theme. Everyone's feeling this is the voice of the film. Mm. So where am I gonna use that? And as I work forward, then I've got that confidence of the first 30 minutes of kind of playing. So now I need to develop those and make them really pay off. Um, and they're great collaborators. They're really good at giving me good notes and, you know, telling me when I'm going too big or too small or, you know, gone mm -hmm. gone too far. They're just really, really good to work with. So from the time of finding out to maybe when you hit the scoring stage, how much time do you think it was? That one was quite quick. I mean, it's okay. very, very low budget. So it's that there was not much time on any front. Um, I mean, it was probably it was probably written in, in five or six weeks or something like that. Oh, my gosh. And then, wow. and then okay. we recorded it in in two days. So that was, you know, and and I mean, two two amazing days, and yeah, we yeah, yeah. we we recorded them, we recorded the film in sequence, basically. So the musicians went through that whole journey mm -hmm. with us. You know, the film starts with all this enthusiasm of the young adventurer, mm -hmm. and gradually this sense of creeping. Oh God, you know, and it gets really dark in the end. By the end of the first yep. day, we'd reached the darkest bit of the oh film. God. You know, when okay. things are, and the mood was just palpable in the room. And then the next day, when things were getting celebratory, that was when Sir David came in, oh, and he came in and did a little speech to the musicians and. There's a there's a cue in the film um, which happens when he, he talks about rewilding the world and it's one of the, the few moments really where the music gets quite rich yeah. and he came in to talk just before we recorded that piece and you can kind of hear him in it in a strange way. That's incredible. So do you prefer kind of that time? <laughs> what do you do with the time? I mean, you kind of are working against your instincts in the sense of having a limited or more limited amount of time and then <clears throat> when you only have two days, I suppose, on the sound on the recording stage. You know, what, what is that energy like then for you? I mean, it's it's the usual fear of not getting it done. Um, but but there is something glorious about about you know writing something, knowing that it's going to be recorded next week. You know, there's a certain thing. 
you know, there, there, there's a, you have to get it right, you know, and you can't have those days where you go, oh, I'll fix that tomorrow. You know, it's got to be right now and it's got to go off to them. And they've got, you know, hopefully they're going to like it. And if not, you've got to work out why really quickly. And there's a sort of energy and momentum to that. And I think the project felt like it had that anyway, because it's dealing with, you know, time running out. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it, it kind of, it felt, it just felt so important to, to, to honor the words, you know? So um, everyone got into it and all the, all those musicians on the stage, you know, they, they were, we talked to them all at the start about what we were trying to do about what sort of film it was. So David is like the biggest legend in, in the UK, you know? Yeah. So it was, everyone felt very honored to be there, I think. And so there was just a real sense. It was, it was some of the loveliest sessions I've ever had, really. And we, we had to, to work quickly. But I can honestly say that, you know, we, we got some of the best performances. Like, it was, people were, you know, three or four takes in, you felt like they were getting really close to the master take every single time. So they they were all great, you know. Do, do you work with the same orchestrator, David uh, Butterworth? Is... David's been with me from, from the start. Yeah, we okay. kind of, um, most people that, that um, come on board my, my projects, you know, at the, at the end of them, when, when the we get to live with it. We've all been together for ages. It's, yeah. We about ten years ago this week, we were recording um, "Attack the Block," which was my first sort oh, of feature score. And uh, yeah, the same guy is, is mixing for me. The same guy is, is actually me. We we have a, a, a new music editor, but he's he's been with me for six years now. Okay. So it's it's kind of um, yeah. Everyone, I, I like that sense of a uh, of a, a really close knit small team that we we kind of can all finish each other's sentences. You know. Same thing with uh, your your score editor Bradley Farmer. Well, yeah, he's been he's been with me now for he joined with the Hunt in in 2015, um, and he now you know he's he's gone from score editor he he music edits um, a lot of the movies now and and goes to the dub and and you know supports the music there. So yeah, it's it's a nice and a lovely crew. I'm very lucky. Well, what what do you find? I mean, obviously there's a shorthand, but what do you find in terms of um, the amount of communication or the direction that you need to give these your team and these individuals? Um, do you, are you someone who is pretty much like sitting next to them the whole time or do you allow them to take the, take the work and then come back to you? Like what, what, what's the collaboration like between your team? I'm a little bit sitting, sitting there all the time. And certainly <laughs> when, when it get, gets to the, gets to the mix, the mix yeah. is a really collaborative process where my, myself and my mix engineer, we have matching Pro Tools rigs and, okay. you know, the session, you know, the way I work as well, I, I write in Pro Tools. And mm-hmm. so the, the, the score develops almost like a record, you know, there's bits in my multi-tracks, which were done on day one, which will evolve through the process. And then that whole thing will go over to the mixer and we'll incorporate the, the, the live musicians at the very end when we record the orchestra. But that multi-track kind of is the same thing all the way through. And that will get passed back and forth between me and, and me and the mixer at the end. And we both do do passes. I mean, David Butterworth, obviously we've, we've worked so long together that, that, you know, we have a short and there. We always talk a lot about what's different about each project when we start it. And then, you know, there's a lot of back and forth there. Um, I mean, hopefully the, the, the demos, I, mean, I tend to do quite developed demos. So mm-hmm. as soon as people listen to those, they get a sense of, of what I'm doing and what, what's been happening with the, the director and the, the producers in the time I've been working on the project before they get involved. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very few phone calls really in the great scheme of things to, to just, you know, this is what we're doing this time. This is what I'm really looking for. I want to record it this way. Do you think that'll work? And, you know, then they bring their ideas to it and the whole thing you know, elevates from what I've done. And sometimes I don't notice when you're working on a project, whether you're, you know, in stages of production or, you know, as you walk a project to your final deliverable, um, I find that it's not until I maybe watch it when it's not on a, a, a timeline, when it's with an audience or with other people that like something clicks, like there's a fundamentally something that happens in the brain that like we see it differently. Well, what, 
what when is that moment for you when do you feel like you can actually uh, approach it or or just appreciate it or experience it without your composer cap on like when is that for you usually I mean, the, to appreciate it without the composer cap on is like a, f a few years down the line, I think, okay. when you happen to catch a bit of on the TV. But there is a weird thing that happens when the mix has been printed. Mm. And then I get the sort of the stems back in the, the, the Pro Tools and I'll, I'll just sort of like listen to the mix and I can't change it anymore because it's been committed. Mm -hmm. And something weird happens then when all of a sudden it sounds better than I think it did. Mm -hmm. You know, because all I, I can't change it now. So that bit of my brain that's constantly looking to tweak things has to silence you know and and so so there's always something weird there and then then you know oftentimes when we build the reels and we're just checking through see so, you know what edits we've had to do for picture change or whatever just watching it through then as a, a 20 minute chunk of material that's often a moment when i can kind of go oh okay and i tend to make a few little tweaks there because there's always something at that point you go oh i've overdone that or i, I need to pull i need to make that moment work better so it's the thing with it is, I think that that old adage that, you know, you don't ever finish a film, you kind of abandon it because they right. tell you to stop is really true. Um, but so often that little tweak you make at the, the last minute is the most important thing. You know, that tiny little thing makes a big difference. So, you know, I, I think um, unfortunately, I'm just doomed to keep looking at these things until, you know, they go out and then other people can watch them then <laughs> for either of these projects did you have a chance to to experience them with an audience um even though they their final destination was on netflix on the you know on a platform but there, there was a, a with um the david attenborough film we did do a screening in london just for the filmmakers and okay. um, some people from netflix have come over and so david was there mm -hmm. and that was that was my sort of big moment for that one just watching it as a in, in a run as the finished mix yeah. And um, just, just sort of seeing with, and of course I was just watching his reaction all the time and luckily he liked the music and I got <laughs> yeah. to shake his hand at the oh, end nice. and it felt, it felt lovely. Um, over the moon, I saw in a drive-in because okay. we couldn't yeah. do any sort of screening in a, a conventional place. So we, we, we went to a drive-in in London in the summer and I took my, my family and we parked up and watched it and in a, in a steamed up car. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was, you know, and that was fun just sort of seeing it in a different way and seeing people around. Um, but yeah, I kind of certainly over the moon, I would have loved to have seen in a, in a theater and I kind of still hope well, one day, yeah. you know, when, when this all lifts, there'll be, there'll be ways in some films that perhaps missed the boat this time around, we might get to show them in the future. Yeah. It's such an interesting time in the sense that you don't have that, um, I don't know, it's not, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily like a carrot, like at the end of the race that, you know, you kind of get, but it's just, I, I think it's, you know, when you're in different stages, you always want to experience it with an audience on a big screen. Yeah. Um, so it's those yeah, moments, yeah. it's those moments yeah. of, of, of feeling like um, this tiny little thing you might have done has yeah. had an impact on the emotions of people around. And, and that feeling is, is, yeah, that's the, that's the real drug of it really. Just that feeling that, that especially when you're dealing with emotional subjects, you know, as, as I, I, those are the projects I really enjoy doing. Um, the ones where, where you're, you're getting a tear or you're getting a laugh or whatever. And, and yeah, it's those moments that you, you, you really hope for. So yeah, fingers crossed. So from your own journey, obviously you, you've been in this, this game, you've been wearing the composer hat now for a fair amount of time that I could say that you've figured it out. You've, there's the mist, the, you know, you no longer have to, which is not true, which I was going to say was, you don't have to worry about your next project. Everyone has to worry about the next project. Well, we always worry about the next project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what would you say to the composers who are, are you know, the next generation of folks who maybe were, were in your position 15, 20, you know, when you were doing that first, you know, attack the block or early on and really just starting to get your, your foot in, into this world? 
Well, I mean, well, before yeah. before Attack the Block, I'd, yeah. I'd done sort of a good 15 years in the industry. Yeah. And and the, the only bit of advice I ever get, because I always, I'm, you know, I think everyone's route is so bizarrely different in this. I've never met anyone who's had the same kind of route in. There is no real route in. It's just a succession of bits of good fortune, which you might earn or not just by yeah. your reaction to them when they come. But the thing I found was was crucial for me was really just just sort of being useful. Mm. And there were so many times when, you know, I was I was starting out where, where someone would say, oh, we need someone to do this or that, you know, whether it be an arrangement or make tea or whatever it would be. And I just didn't mind doing any of it, you know, mm-hmm. because it meant I was in the room for a bit longer and it might mean that the next time someone's having a conversation about something else that needed doing, I might be able to say yes to that as well. And gradually through just being useful and, and you know, not passing anything bad to the next person, you know, because a lot of the job, you know, when you're at that stage is, is really passing good work on and making someone's life easier rather than the opposite. As long as you kept doing that, they might give you a call next time or they might recommend you to someone else. And after a little while of that, you suddenly find you almost on the edge of having a career. <laughs> and then for me, it was, you know, how to get into writing was the, the really tricky thing. And that took me a long, long time to... Mm convince anyone to to you know let me loose like that but you know in the meantime i learned lots and by the time i did get the opportunity to to write i'd kind of done this long apprenticeship and i kind of i'd I'd got certain elements of what i needed to do a second nature by that point so i could really focus on the creative of it and i wasn't you know having to work out how the rig worked i wasn't having to to you know fiddle with with technicalities i could that that bit i'd done for other people i knew i was doing there so i could really focus in on the work and so I'm kind of, whilst it felt never ending at the time, I'm kind of pleased that I had quite a long apprenticeship. Do you find that, um, you know, in today's world, when I think everyone has access to all the kind of similar tools, it's no longer, you know, there's not a a barrier for for people to get into this. What are the things that fundamentally, like, you just have to do on your own? You, you necessarily, it's not going to be, you know... Um, like you said, everyone has a unique background. I just feel like, what are some of the fundamentals that you would suggest that people can't lose sight of when thinking about becoming, you know, a music composer? For me, it's it's it's, you know, I, I think there's a the, there's a temptation in a lot of people that, that that you know write to me or, or whatever to think that they're going to go straight into to you know I, I want to do additional music for you and I want to do it now. I've just come out of college <laughs> and I'm ready. Yeah. yeah. And for me, like you know, and some people may well do that, you know, and and great, good for them. They, they it may well work great for them. Mm-hmm. But certainly my path to it was was very much kind of learning all the, the different aspects of it. And, you know, I, I, I think it's important that, that I know how Pro Tools work. You know, I know there's a lot of composers. And certainly when I started out, there were composers who needed the likes of me to come in and help them with the technology of it. But nowadays, I feel like we all need to kind of know that because it's all moved so fast. And there's a certain expectation that you're going to be able to, to deliver professionally and well on time. And all of that involves the technology and you kind of need that side as well as your music side, you know? And for me, it was like this, this broad sort of education of it, you know? And I, I, I did my old school Oxbridge music degree, but also I kind of had this interest in, in the computer side of things and it uses every bit of both of those skills all the time. And so it's, it's, yeah, I mean, I think I've probably got an old fashioned approach to it and I kind of, I like, I like the fact that, you know, music editing and arranging and conducting was kind of like my equivalent of, of going to Hamburg when you're the Beatles. You know, it was that mm-hmm. bit where you, you slogged through the night and you, you didn't sleep for a few months and it kind of, it prepared you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, I, I'm, I'm a bit old school, I think. I, I don't think that's old school. That, that sounds 
pretty good to me. That sounds pretty new school to me, or it sounds <laughs> like a safe way to go about it. Um, one of the other projects that um, had come out uh, last year, which is Aeronauts, which was a great film on, on from Amazon Studios, right? Is it Amazon? Yeah, Amazon, um, yeah. Yeah, that, which I really enjoyed that. That was a fantastic film. Um, but coming up th later this year, in a few months here, you're reconnecting with your old pal Edgar Wright for Last Night in Soho. What, um, what can you not say about working with Edgar? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I owe Edgar a huge bit of my career, really. I mean, I, I, it was it was him that that um, hired me back in two thousand and seven to, to to work with him on the script for Baby Driver as a sort of music key consultant person, and then yeah. you know we did Scott Pilgrim, and from that I ended up doing Attack the Block, and that opened the doors to Gravity and all that. So Edgar, I owe a huge amount, and and it's a bit of a thrill whenever he calls up to. to um, do another one and we just um yeah did this, his new films called last night in soho and it's totally unlike anything we've done before and um yeah really really proud and really sort of excited for people to see it it's kind of uh um yeah it's 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 hard to know how to describe it really but it's mm -hmm. we've kind of over the years done collaborations with with music and sound that are kind of i think quite quite innovative and this one it just felt like we we totally launched that into a, a different place entirely so it's it was a load of fun and load of challenge and yeah I'm I'm hoping people like it. Yeah, I'm excited to hopefully check that one out and reconnect with you guys. I feel like Baby Driver. I was like, oh, this is just gonna be your normal escape action film, and it is far from anything that I've ever experienced before. So I'm really curious what you guys have done for last uh, last night in Soho. Um, so that, that's something to look forward to here coming up, I believe in April, um, in a few months. Um, so but for folks who uh, want to keep track of what you're up to, well, where's where's a good place to uh, track you down? Are you, are you very active online? Any of the social media? I, I, I do have a, a Twitter account, Steve B. Price at Twitter, um, which I'm I'm not brilliant at Twitter, but I do chip in every now and then. Yeah. And then I've got a, a website, stephenpricemusic.com, where, where news of, of uh, upcoming shows and, and uh, various films, I tend to, to put a little bit of a, I write upon a film when it comes out just to, to say my experience of it and you know um anything that, that we did on that that, that you know, was a bit of a challenge it's uh, it's a nice way to to sort of celebrate the things fantastic well steven thank you so much uh, it's been a long time coming i uh, i think the first one of the early films i'd covered was um uh oh my god i'm, I'm going back uh B -B -B scott pilgrim oh my gosh i'm blinking scott uh scott, oh, scott pilgrim. World. yeah yeah um and uh, and uh it's just been uh, so much fun following your career obviously gravity was once again another project i think people were surprised and pleasantly delighted by just a fresh perspective fresh approach to something and um, I, I think for anyone who's looking to check out some projects definitely check out the damn attenborough um film a life on our planet and if you want to go into the elema uh, animation realm definitely over the moon um I was pleasantly surprised, so uh, it was so much fun. Thank you so much for your time, and yeah, really appreciate chatting. Lovely to meet you. Thank you.